0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, February 24th, 2022. Well, we were hoping on this podcast there would have been some type of breakthrough in talks between the major league baseball owners and the players association both parties have been meeting hours a day in jupiter florida since monday but neither side is really budging from their previous stances there's huge gaps in minimum salary offers almost no discussion on the competitive balance tax which we have mentioned numerous times on this show is the biggest sticking point for this lockout Three days of meetings haven't produced many results, if any results. Now, Major League Baseball is threatening the Players Association that if a new CBA is not agreed upon by Monday, February 28th, regular season games will be canceled, not postponed, not delayed, canceled. And there are no plans for Major League Baseball to reproduce a new schedule, So whatever games are canceled, again, will not be made up and the players will not get paid for those games. The White Sox first month of the 2022 schedule has 19 division games out of their first 27 games of the season. Those are games the White Sox want to play to enhance their odds of winning back-to-back division titles. If any or all of these games get canceled, it could possibly impact the White Sox' chances of winning the American League Central. This is a bleak topic and one that we have been discussing for many recent episodes. So most of this episode, we're going to be shifting gears and taking suggestions from our Twitter followers on what to discuss other than the CBA Talks. We're going to tackle those topics in a moment, but let me introduce my co-host as he is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Major League Baseball dropped the big threat of canceling regular season games if there is no CBA deal by Monday, February 28th. Is that threat going to radically change how talks have progressed so far? I
2: don't, it doesn't make sense to me just because, you know, as we talked about the previous show that the players were threatening to take postseason expansion off the table uh, Mm -hmm. if they didn't weren't paid for 162 games so if they're going to cancel those games and they're not going to be paid out they're losing so much more revenue like say if they play 159 games let's say (laughs) that they are super stringent about the deadline and that you know even if they agree to a deal a day afterwards that they're gonna shave the first series off the calendar or something like that. They're losing, I don't know how many millions of revenue uh, you know, with the postseason expansion, the T V deal have missed there for this, so it seems like an empty threat, or it seems like posturing. I guess my stance has been that, you know, both sides, especially I would say the owner side, since they're the ones who instituted the lockout, they're the ones who are going to maybe come off their demands Further, Because the players have already dropped their biggest demands uh, that the, you know, Major League Baseball is going to move on the demand still on the table and then say, well, you know, we just thought it was really important for the season to exist. And so we're making, you know, we're very magnanimous and, and generous for uh, raising the competitive balance threshold to X and raising the minimum salary to X. And we're just, uh, I should say why, because I don't think the minimum salary is going to be $240 million. I want to make sure that we have different variables for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to have the season and we'll revisit in five years, but the players should have no complaints about anything we've done. Kudos us. You know, that, that's kind of how I'm thinking the uh, way the owner is going to spin it when the deal is reached. And theoretically, like the harder they press on these deadlines and what they're not saying they're willing to move on, the more they can pat themselves on the back, but there does reach a point to where the asymptote breaks the plane and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're diminishing returns or the, you know, the, the date is passed and they actually do have to shave off game So I don't quite know where it's at. I mean, this is what it would look like if they do that, but it is getting uh, uncomfortably close to, or I guess the progress is slow enough to where it's hard to, hard to see it if it's there.
1: Alex Wood tweeted, It's fascinating that Major League Baseball is setting a hard deadline to play a full season for Monday. They locked us out, had barely any contact for two months post-lockout, have yet to make a single good-faith offer to even initiate real conversations to get a deal done. Just make a real offer. And again, that comes from pitcher Alex Wood. And I am sure there are many players that feel that way as well. I think the threat is real, just from a logistics standpoint, Jim. If you don't have a deal by Monday, then you are really pushing the boundaries on getting players ramped up and ready to go for a 162-game regular season if they're going to only have three weeks of spring training. I think the Players Association say they can do it. Mm-hmm. Two weeks seems like a stretch, or you do have two weeks and the first couple of weeks of the regular season is just like extended spring training, right? No one is pitching more than five innings in any start because they're still you know ramping up, and we're not going to see regular workloads until late May. And uh, who knows all the injuries we could possibly see with with players not maybe fully prepared to play one hundred sixty two game season. So I think the threat is real. If there is no CBA, and we go into Tuesday, March 1st, with no agreement, I am expecting Major League Baseball to put out a press release saying that the first week of the regular season games have been canceled. And for those that are looking at the 2022 White Sox schedule, that would be the first three games of the year which the White Sox open at home against the Minnesota Twins. And then after that, uh, they are supposed to go on the road to Kansas City Uh, to face the Royals. So if they decide on Tuesday, March 1st, that they're going to be canceling games uh, and they're going to cancel the first week of the regular season, those are the games that the White Sox would lose out. They would lose out three games against the Twins and they would lose out three games against the Royals. Teams that, even though we do think that Kansas City will be better this season, Mm -hmm. and the Royals did win 10 out of 19 games against the White Sox in 2021, The White Sox were very successful against the Minnesota Twins last year, and the White Sox roster is much stronger than what the Twins and Royals have. They would like to have those six games.
2: (laughs) I I guess you could say that the Twins really need those games against the White Sox to beat projections. You know, putting the direct dent and uh, head-to-head record. Like, that would be the way
1: to upset projections is by taking games directly from your Direct opponent. Sure, yes, you're right. But I mean, if the White Sox started the season, let's say against the Astros, and then they were gonna go on the road to face the Yankees, mm-hmm. they lose those games a uh, big deal. I mean, at the end of the year, it's just maybe tiebreakers for seeding, which with an expanded postseason could be detrimental. But the division games, in my opinion, carry far more weight during a regular season schedule on who determines who makes the postseason. Than out of division games, so the White Sox losing division games, I think there would be some sting to it, at least from a White Sox perspective, because again, the first 27 games of this upcoming season, 19 of them are against division opponents. That's that's a lot of division games to start the season, and uh, it would you know perhaps put the White Sox in a terrific position to start the year if they excel in those uh, first 19 division games. But we'll see on how many that they can get. Now, what the league has proposed back to the Players Association is an update on their previous offers for the minimum salary. Major League Baseball has increased their offer by a whopping $10,000 a year. So their offer to the Players Association for minimum salary in 2022 would be $640,000 and increase by $10,000 each year of the CBA all the way up to $680,000 in 2026. And then Jim Bowden, who currently is, he's got a lot of jobs. He does stuff for MLB network radio. He writes things for the athletic and he provides as far as his insight of being an external manager and oftentimes ponders what kind of deals could be made or what kind of transactions or free agency targets teams could possibly make. And he's been very heavy-handed with his analysis of the situation, being very pro league side. And he posted a tweet, Jim, about league minimums for the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball. And with those league minimums, the NFL six hundred sixty thousand, the NBA's nine hundred twenty-five thousand, the NHL's seven hundred fifty thousand. That number surprised me. And Major League Baseball currently is at 570000 So based on the most recent counter proposal from the owners, Mm -hmm. Major League Baseball minimum would still be the lowest out of the four professional sports. And what the Players Association is asking is be right there with the NHL for league minimum. But when you break it down per game, because obviously they don't play the same amount of games, NFL game checks, you get 17 game checks, maybe 18 if they do count the bye. So the NFL, you're getting about like $35,000 to $38,000 per game. In the NBA, you're making a little more than $11,000 per game. In the NHL, you're making a little bit more than $9,000 a game. Currently, Major League Baseball, you're making about $3,500 a game. That is a great divide between the other three major professional sports organizations and Major League Baseball. So again, the Players Association want seven hundred fifty, or I think there was one offer for $775,000. I think they're lowballing themselves, Jim. If they want to be paid just as much as hockey players, they should be making $9,100 a game, not 3500 So they should be asking, and this is mm-hmm. my opinion, and this is what I, I would negotiate, for $1.5 million minimum salary. Uh, I highly yeah. doubt, Jim that the owners would go for
2: that. Yeah, I mean, it's just a difference in the sport, though. Like, if you had NHL players or NBA players, NFL players playing 162 games, the the sport would be completely trash, and the bodies would be destroyed, and brains would be mush. So I think just the nature of the games allows baseball to be played uh, more often. And then some players, you know, like starters pitch every five days, every six days. Relievers pitch every other day to every nine days or every 25 days if you're jeff gray so just you know there i think there's enough difference in usage to where like you wouldn't expect baseball to have the same per game salary as the other sports i think you know based on what the players are asking they acknowledge that they're fine with that like it's, baseball is an everyday sport that's what makes it great and it's also like what makes a difference uh, you know different than the other ones that can be played every day and while you know maybe some players do play through pain and you know that's i think as the tyler skeggs um you know death in the trial resulting from that show is like you know the major league baseball does have to be cognizant of painkiller issues uh you know it's a it's a Mm -hmm. game that can be played every day and guys can be rotated in and out to where you're not putting too much strain on on bodies the way that other sports demand but like 750 is Fine, like yeah, you know, I think even you know, just it's it's hard to look that number, especially when you see like how many guys are making that, and 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 that the league is you know, basically players are saying like we acknowledge that more teams are using the league minimum players, and we're we have to work with that. So uh, rather than like try to urge the league to try to you know use the you know more of the seven figure contract guys, they're just looking to say like okay, let's if it's gonna be you know three fifths of the league if they're going to be league minimum guys or pre-arb guys, then let's just get them paid a little bit more. Like that seems to be pretty appropriate. I, you know, Jim Bowne, I, I just don't get what his deal is. Like why he's hired. Like he's gunning for a well, job. I mean, he's that I mean, like he, I don't get why he has jobs in the media. Like he was, he had to resign from the nationals <laughs> from, for a skimming scandal, like uh credible accusations of skimming yeah. uh, bonuses from international players. As a media member, he, he didn't fabricate a trade rumor, but he, uh, stole a fabricated trade rumor from a fake account saying Marlon, I think it was Marlon Byrd signing with the Yankees. And he reported that 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 it was his own rumor, turned out to be made up by some fake accounts. And when he realized that he'd tried to delete his account or he changed the name, then he locked it, then he changed his name to Ralph. Like he completely crapped his pants when he realized that he was caught ripping off a fake, like there's, you know, as a media member, as a, um, and as a, an executive, he's disgraced in both fields to where like, I don't get why he has the platform he does. So I just, generally speaking, I ignore that he exists and I don't read what he writes. And, and <laughs> I don't get why more people do the same. And I don't get why, you know, I imagine there are a lot of interesting or, 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 you know, former executives, former front office members with valid points of view who can hold an audience. And I don't get why he's the guy who, unless he works for nothing. You know, unless he's like you know, you, you know, makes you know, uh, a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there, and it's like enough to stitch together a decent post-career career. Whereas you know, guys who are you know MBAs or what have you that can you know, slip into other fields pretty easily after they're done working in baseball just demand more money. But yeah, just uh, his his career and his presence uh, confounds me. Yeah,
1: I you make good points about Jim Bowden. The a couple of things though, like the NBA minimum salary, because from your point that the guys that are getting paid league minimum for major league baseball, they're not necessarily playing every day, especially if they're a pitcher or a reliever. If you're making minimum salary for the NBA, unless you're playing for like the Oklahoma city thunder or the Houston Rockets teams that are absolutely terrible right now, you're not playing. I mean, you're making, Mm -hmm. you're making $11,000 a night sitting at the bench. So having courtside seats where people spend $11,000 for courtside seat tickets You're sitting there and getting paid $11,000 and getting to participate in practices and play five on five drills. You know, it's, it's not a bad gig if you can get it. I just think that from the MOBPA position, let's say they like comparing the $750,000 league minimum, right? Like the fact that the owners turned around and their counter is we'll increase it by 10,000. Okay. So, if your take-home pay after taxes is about seventy percent of your pay, so you lose about thirty percent of your tax of your paycheck due to taxes or other benefits. Some of you are probably already screaming that it's perhaps more with health insurance and other benefits. I'm just let's just use seventy percent for this exercise. So, currently, for Major League Baseball players who get paid the league minimum, their take-home pay per game after seventy percent. Uh, of their net pay would be $2,463 and 12 cents, losing 30% to taxes and other benefits. What the players association is offering to the owners, the take home pay after 30% is taken out would be $3,240 and 30 cents. The difference per game from what the players association is proposing and the current rate is $777 And 18 cents. The average ticket cost in Major League Baseball last season was $34.10. So each team would have to sell 23 more tickets per player paid at league minimum. 23 tickets per game for each minimum salary player to cover the increase that Major League Baseball Players Association is offering. 23 tickets and Hmm. opening day is seriously going to be canceled because major league baseball has no idea jim i believe this now thanks to dick montfort major league baseball has no idea how low ball their offer is to the players association and i also don't think they have any clue on how the players association is still not asking enough to match the other professional sports leagues In the United States, if the owners weren't a bunch of old white dudes stuck in the 1990s with the way they operate their business, they would realize that the Players Association is not asking enough and they should just sign the deal in the lockout. The Players Association can all pat themselves on the back. We won this. And the league is still going to make an insane amount of profit in 2022 through the 2026 season, because I still don't think the players association is asking enough, but opening day very well could be canceled. We may know about that cancellation next week because the owners in the league have, they have no, they have no
0: idea.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, we haven't even gotten and they haven't even gotten to the competitive balance tax threshold yet on the other side. So, I know. Yeah. Isn't that ridiculous? Which, you know, I as just... we talked about before, is probably the biggest sticking point of all of them based on just how I think they're looking to go uh, up, you know, six to eight million over the course of five years. So <laughs> that's just it's uh, yeah, that's why it's like, you know, theoretically, you know, like I said, if it's going to be uh, if a deal is going to be struck, it's going to happen quickly, and the league is going to pat itself on the back for how great it is to the players. But yeah, it really is testing one's
1: patience and and belief in actually getting to that point. So they're going to meet today, Thursday. They're supposed to meet on Friday. Do you think they're going to work on it on a weekend? Uh, do you think Do you think rich billionaires work on Saturdays and Sundays? I think if it comes to like the you know preserving
2: a postseason expansion. Like if they see like enough clicking into place to where like, oh, this is, if we cost ourselves, you know, I don't know how much the TV deal is worth, but if we cost ourselves uh, the money in the postseason TV deal because we didn't want to work two extra days before a deadline that we set, like if they set a deadline and say like, well, we're going to lose uh, opening day and we're not going to pay the players after this date, and then they don't work every single day into that deadline, then I think they're just setting themselves up for, you know, not winning... Public sentiment, just like they didn't win public sentiment when they said the lockout will make negotiations happen faster, and then didn't respond to the uh,
1: uh, union's first proposal for forty-three days. I have to imagine, Jim, that let's say if ESPN's offers a hundred million dollars for that exclusive playoff round, and I might be lowballing that offer because ESPN's already spending like five hundred fifty million dollars per season to broadcast Major League Baseball games and they reduced the amount of games they are broadcasting during the regular season for this upcoming 2022 season. So they're already spending a lot of money to do national broadcasts of Major League Baseball games. So let's just say it's $100 million. I mean, that easily pays the difference between what it is from the previous CBA and what the Players Association is asking for now that's that's just why it's so mind-boggling and i i have to question the owners as businessmen do you have any idea what is being proposed to you and do you have any idea has anyone done any risk analysis with these proposals or you just simply shooting numbers back and forth and having no understanding the background of your numbers but you're pitching these $10,000 increases, thinking that these are earth-shattering, and now it's just a matter of a, a dick-measuring contest between these two parties, and they have to win this deal, Jim. Yeah. Instead of just focus on making more yeah, money. I
2: don't. You know, when it comes to business acumen, like you know, there is yeah, you know, it's slightly an appeal to authority th- fallacy to say like they must know what they're doing if they're worth billions of dollars. But you know, they're they probably you know I don't want to say like you know they're losing money because of this like who know like i wonder when it comes to debt service though is my 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 concern or like my thought is like when they lose games when they lose regular season games what does that mean for their tv deals what does it mean for casino deals like you know when it comes to you know games not being wagered on you know does that do they lose money there like are they losing the playoff revenue plus tv revenue plus ratings based revenue plus you know just everything else like I don't, you yeah, know, the, the league is on solid financial ground, obviously, because they keep setting record revenues. But when you look at how much debt some teams have taken on and you look at some of the shaky ground that some, you know, uh, TV, you know, regional sports networks occupy, it just, it strikes me as like some teams can't be on as stable footing as others. And you wonder, like, if missed games happen, obviously players lose checks. And there is a bit of a war chest, I think, for the union to cover lost pay during the season because right now they're not counting, you know, the, there, there's no pay lost, you know, during the winter and during spring training. So they, they still have, you know, some cash reserves uh, when the season starts to help pay players who are missing games. But just I wonder what the missed games will be on, like on the other side. Obviously, they'll, they have personal wealth to draw upon. But when it comes to actual team operations and ability to service debt and so forth, like how will that be affected? And, and will some owners um, be unhappy with other owners if they have to say finance mm-hmm. debt service payments, the
1: way the league has had to bail out some teams before? Well, we're going to find out what the Atlanta Braves, right? They are owned by a publicly traded company and there are quarterly releases as far as the fiscal records. We're going to find out. We're going to find out what the Braves, I think the Rogers company is also publicly traded. So there are quarterly leases, and so there's two teams that we're going to have some type of insight on the amount of money that they are losing by not playing games. And that's where we are. We we, we have a serious threat by Major League Baseball to cancel opening day because they have no idea how low-balling their offers are to the Players Association. Nor do they have an understanding of how the Players Association is still lowballing themselves and they're willing to lose hundreds of millions of dollars to win this CBA. This is not a way to run business. It's not. It's, it's a poor way of running a business and just another reason why Rob Manfred should not be the commissioner of this sport, but I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Well, it it like may be a way to run a business, but it's not a way to
2: run like a business that requires at least some public buy-in, you know, like just, it does require some sentiment to actually operate at the worth that it's been valued at. Like you can't, Piss off fans forever and expect to make 10 billion dollars in revenue. Like you can't, like that's not going to work. Eventually, the ret- returns are going to diminish pretty quickly, and the you know the the, the graph is going to slide downward. So I think you know Rob Manfred, like he might have a lot of experience in negotiating contracts with. Uh, the union and being kind of the heavy for maybe like a Bud Selig, who might've been a good cop when it came to, you know, actually enjoying the sport of baseball, as flawed as he was, like everybody agreed that he loved baseball, mm-hmm. you know, as much as any owner did. So he had that going for him. But when you see what, you know, manfred just how Manfred sounds, when he talks about the game, when he talks about the, uh, what teams and players play for, like they're he he lacks that vision for actually like expressing Joy and goodwill for the game that even Bud Selig, for all his flaws, was good at. So that's I think what uh you know. That's something that might be slept on a little bit by ownership ranks. Is just you know how much you know. No, no commissioner is liked. I think even Adam Silver, I think is yeah. You know, he might be liked, or he might be liked more than David Stern was. But even then, like you know, he's got some some detractors and so forth. So like he's not like you know, and and, and things could turn for him pretty quickly with one bad decision or one you know next labor stoppage or what have you so every commissioner even if they're liked well enough is on thin ice but i think you know there is probably something to manfred's (laughs) anti-charisma and just his (laughs) inability to like even like roger goodell not like but at least you know he conveys the importance of football the over importance of football the seriousness of the shield and so like he does a good job representing his league and the importance of it and the supposed vitality of it to america whereas manfred does not have that going for him like he's got he just he uh he he sucks a lot of enthusiasm out of rooms out of proceedings uh there, there's nothing he's made better by his presence and i think eventually that's got to catch up to him eventually yeah
1: this this might be it you never well, that, know that's right i mean we'll see on how much money they could lose i <laughs> I'm with you, Jim. The, the more I think about this, and we'll probably carry this conversation to the next podcast on Monday, which is going to be Monday, February 28th, our next episode, when we hear more what happened after the weekend. And of course, that's another deadline day, uh, another big day on the calendar during this offseason for Major League Baseball. I, I just, it's really hard to fathom that Major League Baseball is willing to lose a lot of money a lot of money over what I think are pretty small increases that the players association is asking for. And now we're now we're now you're trying to strong arm the players association. Now we're just getting ridiculous, but we're going to take a quick word for our sponsors but when we come back let's play along with some of the topics that you guys wanted to discuss as again this cba talk is depressing as all hell uh so coming up next on the Sox machine podcast it's the topics that you guys want us to talk about next
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed what would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member FDIC.
1: Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast as we shift gears here uh, from the CBA negotiations. And uh let's uh let's talk about some topics that you guys have proposed to us as I asked on Twitter. You know what else is on uh people's minds and I asked for suggestions and pulling out the suggestion box, Jim, this afternoon. We have some uh, pretty interesting topics here. So we're going to start, start first with one of our long-term, long-time followers, Joff Gallagher, and Joff tweeted to us, what do you think happens immediately when the lockout is lifted? Is it a free agent signing frenzy? Do you think this will cause an overpay for players? What would Rick Hahn do right away? Do we still think trading Craig Kimbrell now, or will Hahn wait it out into the mid-season deadline? Joff has a lot on his mind, but let's just tackle what I think is the easiest question. Mm -hmm. What do you think happens immediately once the lockout is lifted? I think it's going to be
2: at the top of the markets, a free-for-all Carlos Correa. I think will have no problem finding the contract that he wants. Trevor story. I think will do pretty well. But I think, like, below deck, uh, I think you could see, like, a game of musical chairs where players are frantic, especially, like, fringe players, you know, veterans, bullpen arms, like, the more interchangeable players or or the ones who you know might be you know able to you know with, with a wider array of competition for contracts you know a team like the White Sox might be saying like eh, if I want to sign a reliever for you know let's say the White Sox are signing a reliever because that's what they do <laughs> but let's just say they they sign a reliever and like Ryan Tapera and they say uh, well you know you might want three million but we have so many players who want homes quickly, who are willing to sign for 2 million. Well, they just go for those players. And and I think you could see like that kind of squeeze at the, the bottom of the market to where, especially like just players who have been uncertain players about like, who might have a preferred location in mind. Uh, you right. Now players would have time to move their families and, and get an idea of like just exactly where they're supposed to be for the next year or two or whatever the duration of the contract is. So I could see, you know, at the, seven-figure contract market a rush but a rush may be instigated by the players to where like the players might not want to wait for the best deal if they get their preferred location and role so there might be bargains to be had you know at the lower levels that's at least the way i'm thinking it's going to happen just because of the the personal uncertainty you know when players normally would have signed by December, January, maybe even early February. Now you're pushing into early March. You know, you have like one month to get ready. Don't know if you're training in Arizona or Florida, even like that, there's a lot that I think some players have
1: to weigh. Yeah, I think the first week's gonna be crazy. Free agent signings, the teams that clearly want to sell, like Oakland and Cincinnati, we could see a lot of movement in the first week post lockout. Trading players away and getting them, that's gonna be a tough situation. You're dealing with this lockout. You think you're heading to the spring training facility. Lockout ends. You get traded. Maybe you get traded to a team that has spring training in Florida. And now you gotta figure out where you're you know, you're living and the logistics of going from an Arizona spring training to a Florida spring training. It's part of the gig, but it does not make life easier for these major league players, and there'll be a lot of uncertainty, especially players that are involved in trade rumor talks that that's going to be the area that I'm most fascinated in is if we see any type of trades before opening day but yeah it's going to be crazy once the lockout ends because there's just still so much work to be done for teams building out their final rosters before opening day uh mailman jack uh wanted us to talk about how far should you push a young pitcher like michael kopech Garrett crochet or even someone like dylan cease in this upcoming season
2: well, I think Cease proved uh, that he can handle a full season grind. Like he made every start. I I think he threw as many pitches as he's going to throw in a season. I don't, I don't think he's thrown as many innings as he can throw. Yeah, I think the hope is that as he gets better at using his stuff, as he irons out the probably the one remaining wrinkle in his game is just. His ability to lose the strike zone, or you know, have his strike zone shift to the left-handed batter's box for an inning at a time, I think he's still working on just trying to make that in inning adjustment. I think he's made, he's he's done a lot better at like in start adjustments and getting back to the dugout and and figuring it out and, and and throwing two more innings when he thought he might be done, you know, afterwards. So he's got that going for him. But he's made every start. He's he's he showed the ability to to go to the post every five or six days, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of. You know, Norhae Vera and Jared Kelly, like uh, you know, Chris Goetz has them on the Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson workload of 70 to 85 innings. And that sounds like, you know, it sounds like a lot for Kelly. doesn't sound like a lot for Vera. But when you look at like, you know, the Dahlquist, like he made basically every start he just couldn't throw Mm -hmm. deep in the game. So it wasn't a matter of like, you know, innings necessarily. He threw probably about a hundred innings worth of pitches. He just had a hard time, you know, getting some innings over with. He had some problems with the runners on base and, and, uh, inning snowballing on him, but like he could throw a hundred innings. So I think Vera is showing the ability to cruise at the lower levels and is, you know, throwing an easy enough five and innings every time out. Like he's not going to stop at 70. I think he could throw a hundred. So I think when it comes to, uh, cease, like, I think it's going to be a matter of him making his own innings easier, but He's shown the ability to throw 30 starts, and I think that's really valuable. When it comes to Kopech and Crochet, like, Crochet, I don't really know. Just because, like, I guess they're living with him throwing 96 now, like 97. Like, they're not counting on him getting a 9900 back. So, uh, if that's the new normal, then I guess you don't really have to worry necessarily about, like, Tommy John surgery looming over his future if you push him. So... He's shown an ability to maybe last a full season and, and, you know, have that workload. But I think, you know, Kopech is the interesting one just because, to me, if he's the fifth starter, good. Like, fine, he deserves that chance. But just, I wish the White Sox had a better sixth starter on hand besides, like, Reynaldo Lopez. Like, somebody who... Like say Jonathan Stever or two years ago when he looked like he was up and coming and he was throwing ninety, you know, he's like sitting at ninety six versus like the ninety three he's sitting at, and he thought like okay, just give him a month in in AAA and he should be ready to contribute some innings or maybe Dane Dunning from a couple seasons ago when he looked like that guy who you don't mind uh, stepping in to handle a rotation spot for two weeks and then see if he runs the job. Uh, they don't really have that guy in AAA at the moment, so that's what makes me nervous about him. But for the time being, I think he's shown. An ability to maintain his stuff every five days especially if you give him a little bit of time to stretch out like he showed early on in the season with the spot start it was more of a matter of just the having the you know leg injury that so many white Sox players had and you know and, and being handled delicately after he came back from that because of his importance in, in the role that he occupied um, but assuming that the White Sox can figure out what was at the root of all their leg issues, I don't see him, you know, I don't see any issue with him starting every five days, every six days, Uh, you know, throwing five, six innings. I, I wouldn't want to see him, like, exhausted, like throwing 110-plus pitches, you know, but I, I think, you know, having Cease's type of workload where he throws 30 starts and, you know, gets to 160 innings, if he shows the ability to do that without losing, like, scary amounts of velocity or power on his breaking balls or, you know, command to where his mechanics are getting out of whack and you can see him straining, uh I think he's more or less shown the ability to throw as much as his body allows him to throw. And then maybe like use the all star break during the season to maybe arrange the rotation to where you do get him like ten to fifteen days in a row just for a breather and, and and go from there. And then you hoped also that the White Sox have built up someone enough of a lead in the division to where maybe you can audition a starter who might deserve one to give a guy like Kopech a break.
1: If the plan for the White Sox is to see if Michael Kopech can handle a hundred innings during the regular season, then I think the idea of them trading for another starting pitcher before opening day gets more serious where you could still have Kopech stretched out be that swing man out of the bullpen and he's going to get his starts especially with double headers and with injuries you raise a good point that if Kopech is your fifth starter your sixth starter then becomes Ronaldo Lopez well what if Dallas Keuchel or Lance Lynn's back starts sparking up now you're replacing Lynn and Keuchel with Ronaldo Lopez, which might be a benefit from a Keiko perspective, but most certainly is not Mm -hmm. from a Lynn perspective. Instead of a Lynn or Keiko's back barks up, you traded for another starting pitcher, let's say with Oakland or Cincinnati. Now it's Michael Kopech stepping up into that missing role in the starting rotation. And Mm -hmm. now he's going to get those spot starts. It'll be interesting to see on how the White Sox feel about Kopech coming into this season.
2: I mean that's basically what they did with Brandon McCarthy like they delayed Good his point. ascent to a rotation spot by trading for Javier Vasquez and you know that was a long time ago but the people who are there are still in charge so they've shown that tendency to layer up on pitching but I think when it comes to the rotation and the shape of it I think it's gonna be hard for them to sign a guy to fill that spot because they're gonna look at the rotation and say like well uh, I'm on thin ice, like, say, like a Johnny Cueto type. who Could be interesting, like, in a veteran stopgap role. Like, I don't think he would sign with the White Sox because he would see that his chances would be limited and that, uh, you know, if he has a you know, gets off to a rough start, Kopech is right there. You know, he can't count on his stay being long. But if they trade for a guy and, and that player has no choice about showing up to the White Sox, I imagine first that the White Sox would trade with intent, an intent to use that guy and he'd have to be good enough, like if we're talking about like a Chris Bassett or Frankie Montas type, to where there are a credible uh, one through five starter in this rotation, and Kopek would be bumped out, or maybe Dallas Keichel uh, loses his spot if his stuff really looks that ragged. But it would, in order to have a starter who could usurp Kopech and you'd feel good about him doing so, it had to, I
1: think, come through trade. Uh Fluff, our friend from the 108. Discuss the old White Sox radio idea and how would you line up a daily and weekend rosters? All right. So this was my idea a few years ago before there was even a From the 108 podcast. And fun background story. Because we were having beers at a brewery that doesn't exist anymore, uh, Moto, um, Motor Row Brewery. Uh, in the South loop of Chicago, hmm. I forgot about that one. I was thinking you say Bader Brow. Oh <laughs> no, but this conversation would have totally happened at Bader brow too at this time. And I told him that there's not enough audio content to support an online radio station. So my idea, my orange pie in the sky idea is that there are platforms where you can run your own internet radio station. And one of my thoughts was for those fans that just want to have constant White Sox talk, especially during the regular season. Maybe you can create a online internet radio channel and take all of the audio content that's created uh, within, as far as the White Sox blogosphere or other media entities, and you can just you know program it, you know, per hour or every couple of hours. Uh, to constantly play on this internet radio station. So instead of having to subscribe to all the podcasts and such, you can listen to the online radio station. You can splice in some ads. Everybody makes some money. It, it hopefully would pay for itself as far as the technology. That was my crazy idea that I had three years ago. Uh, the, the issue is during the regular season, things change every single day, obviously. So you would need new shows. You need a Monday through Friday, two hour morning show from like seven to to nine in the morning. That would have to be fresh. That would have to be, you know, produced and come up with topics and guests calling in. It's a lot. I mean, that's a full time gig. And then you would need to figure out how you're going to line up as far as all the other audio content. And then you got to figure out weekends as well. I, I just don't think there's enough, Jim. And we already do a lot. Socks Machine already does <laughs> a lot. And if more of you sign up to be our Patreon supporters, maybe there would be a time that we could be serious about this and Jim and I could wake up in the morning while we're having coffee and tea and we have the Socks Machine morning show, but we're not there yet. Uh, so we're still really far away from the White Sox radio idea, but that's, that was my orange pie in the sky, White Sox online radio idea three years ago, three years forward to the present, still not sustainable. <laughs> I think you need live programming, which uh, we can't afford. No, we cannot. Unless <laughs> you go to patreon.com slash Sox machine and sign up today. <laughs> Say, well, so like the Oakland
2: A's who are on streaming, right? Do they ever have, they a- have a radio station? You're right. They're online yeah. only.
1: Maybe we can pick up Oakland A's games. Why not? On the White Sox internet radio. Uh, The next question comes from Jay Kuda. And Jay wants us to discuss the sustainability of organically versus conventionally farmed tomatoes. Do do you know anything about farming tomatoes, Jim? I don't. I just like them in season.
2: All right. That's all I can say to him. I I like a good caprese grilled cheese uh, during the uh,
1: summer months. I did not know that about you. Huh. Jim Margulis, tomato fan. Uh, red hot take ranch, Karkavice squad, <laughs> any plans, logistics for a White Sox, Twitter convoy to Roger Dean stadium. I don't have plans this weekend, but I don't have plans to travel all the way to Jupiter, Florida. Uh, do you, Jim, I, you're, you're pretty occupied these days. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, when it comes to, uh, I was thinking about it, like when it comes to lockout, this is my first week as a stay at home or like work at home dad like primary caretaker so like working but just kind of arrange my hours to where like during the day i'm you know mostly my priority is taking care of the boy (laughs) and so like right now if there were spring training games going on or if they're like yeah i'm I'm kind of bracing for that torrent of moves being made whenever the uh the, the floodgates open and, and being like changing a diaper and seeing like, you know, glancing at my phone and seeing like White Sox trade dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and my notifications, like not being able to reach over and touch my phone with currently what my, you know, what's in my hands. <laughs> so I think like, you know, I'm, I've been, uh, you know, it's been a nice week to get acclimated and kind of get an idea of uh, the kind of schedule I'm on to, under, you know, and then maybe I can add uh, games and moves and transactions and breaking news to it. But I think the lockout appeals to a very narrow section and uh, a cross section of baseball fans. And to me, it's like this, you know, for, for all the years and time, like the window of times, my uh, son could be born and growing up and and transitioning to like a, uh, you know, back to, you know, off maternity and paternity leave and so forth, like this is the the ideal window for it. So I'm kind of enjoying the lockout, or at least it's, it's, I'm, I'm not enjoying it from a business standpoint. And I'm, I'm uh, kind of looking at our, you know, traffic numbers and grimacing a little bit just because there's no news driving people to the site. And I'm very appreciative to everybody who shows up every day. Uh, anyway, and I'm, and I'm ecstatic that we have not lost supporters over the course of the a lockout we've actually gained a few so I'm, I'm extremely appreciative to our uh patreon supporters for sticking with us through this time but just like <laughs> i guess looking at it uh you know for silver lining or like well you know it could be a case where like you know i'm you know it's a lockout and uh i have nothing else to do but in this case i have a lot else to do too much to do and i don't know uh what times i'm gonna have to do it so uh for the time being the lockout is not hitting me as hard as it could be
1: uh, I think this is a good blog idea. It comes from David at DJ surmac It would be cool to dream big on like what would be the 75th percent outcomes for everyone on the White Sox. So their 75th percent project uh, projection, let's say, from Pakoda. They don't do it by 5%, so like 70%. Mm-hmm. How, what would the White Sox season look like if everyone hit their 70th percent projection from Pakoda? I think that would be a good blog idea. Yeah. I'll write that down <laughs> to, to, to break that down. What would be, you know, if everything went well, what would that white Sox season look like to be optimistic? Yeah, Cause it's interesting,
2: you know, looking at the percentiles, like, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the numbers are better when you go percentile to percentile, but it's interesting how it varies for some players. Like Eloy Jimenez is one to where like his 99th percentile is way, you know, he, he's basically, I think top 40 in the league or top 35 Mm -hmm. in the league, 99th percentile, the 50th percentile. He's like top hundred. So he, you know, the procoda sees like his upper outcomes as such to where like he can, even with his defensive deficiencies, he can hit well enough to be the top players in the game. Whereas like somebody like Andrew Vaughn, especially given his, uh, defensive uncertainty with where he's going to play and and, and other players who are more limited uh, body of work to where like they just don't gain or even they lose ground at their 99th percentile because they just don't have, they don't capture the imagination the same way. So it would be interesting both in terms of capturing like uh, just what if it's like the 2005 season in which like all the free agent moves work out and all the holes in the ro- or like every roster spot is filled with an average or better contributor. So there's that angle, but there's also like Um, It it would capture, I think, uh, which players really, Mm -hmm. you know, have extra gears. You know, I I think some players, you can't detect 70th percentile. Like Danny Mendick, I don't think you would understand what his 70th percentile really, how it differs from his 50th percentile. To where like, you know, Luis Robert, Yohan Makata, Tim Anderson, like guys who have shown the ability to, you know, fluctuate between three wins and five wins in a season. Uh, That's a case where, uh, yeah. You'd learn a lot about just exactly the the ceiling some players have.
1: Kevin Powell, our friend over at WGN Sports, as far as Radio 720 AM in Chicago. Predictions on Dollar Dog Wednesdays. Will it return this season? Let's focus on what's important. Kevin, I've got some bad news that I do not think Dollar Hot Dog Wednesdays are coming back. While the white socks are good, mm-hmm. that's how this works. When the white socks are good, those fun promotions don't exist. When the white socks are bad, you bet dollar hot dog Wednesdays are coming back to get fans in the seats. Uh, are you team hot dog? Uh, as opposed to team, all right. So, this okay, so this was a quick fire question on, on a recent episode from the 108 podcast. Uh, Janice Scurio was uh on that show oh it's like versus brat or yeah. salt, like cased meat. yeah yeah so hot dog or brat
2: I like a Chicago dog better than the rest but when it comes to like say like if you only have like uh mustard and like cranked onions on the uh on the concourse then I'd go with either brat or Polish or I, I think like a brat or a Polish do a lot more with onions and mustard than a hot dog does. That is true.
1: That is true. See in the the quick fires were Polish or Italian and I'm Polish. Mm. Oh, you're debating.
2: I like I like a good spicy Italian. Like my, I think Polish over mild Italian. Definitely spicy Italian. I, uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. So. Okay. Got it. And then the next one was hot dog or brat. I would say, I think hot dogs have a higher ceiling. Cause I like the Chicago dog. My, like the experience of eating the whole, Yeah, you know, like the, the <sighs> whole works. Especially after living in a place like upstate New York, did not have Chicago dogs, did not have classic hot dog stands. They had, you know, they they had meat sauce. You know, basically it's kind of like a. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's just like it, it was not chili. It was just like a meat sauce, and it was just I I didn't care for it that much. And and there were brats. There were some German restaurants or German bars, beer gardens where you could get a brat, and I could have it. But I really missed getting like the the. I did not take the Chicago hot dogs stand for granted anymore. So I think having lived without for 15 years, the convenience of getting one at any time, uh, now that I'm in Nashville and there are enough Chicago transplants to support those places, um, I'm enjoying that quite a bit.
1: See, I think the Chicago dog is obnoxious. I never order it. (laughs) Mm. And uh, I live right next to Vienna Uh. beef. (laughs) Like it's, it's a two minute walk for me. To go to their Vienna beef uh, little outlet store that they have. They set up a grill and they could just, you know, move their products across the street. Perhaps I spoke too soon about not losing patrons, uh, <laughs> <laughs> The thing about brats is that I am, <laughs> I really like the brats that I make. It has taken many years to perfect my process in making mm-hmm. a brat. So if I'm making the brat, I prefer that over... Anything definitely over hot dogs, but if I'm at the stadium, I have to say the White Sox do not do a good job with the brats, but I'm oftentimes just going with the Polish. That's they do. Polishes really well there. Yeah.
2: See, I, I think when it comes to like a, a, a barbecue situation or tailgate situation, I would pick broad over hot dog because you're not going to arrange a Chicago style hot dog yourself. You're not probably going to take the time and a open picnic table set up to like arrange all the layers neatly. And you're not going to trust that the, uh, you know, that the toppings will be, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be cross contaminated by the time you get to it. <laughs> you're, not gonna, you're just going to look at the table and go like, yeah. So even if you had all the fixings for it, uh, you would not probably go about it and you'd take the brat every time. So I think it depends on the setting, but I do like a Chicago dog over a brat. But if you can't get you know, the, the works and you can't get it arranged in a professional fashion, then I would go brat over hot dog. Like if you're talking about like only onions, mustard, whatever is available on the table, yeah. on the concourse of the stadium, I'd go
1: you know, brat or Polish over hot dog. All right. So we agree there. We agree there, but you're an Italian sausage guy. I did, man. I'm learning so much in this episode. We have yeah. a lot of other topics that you guys provided and with the way the conversations are going between the league and the players association, we'll probably tackle more of those in the next episode of the Sox machine podcast. Cause uh, my optimism that I was pretty strong about just a few days ago in the previous episode is definitely waning uh, with the the latest news coming out of Jupiter, Florida, but who knows? Maybe things will change with the outcome between the talks of the league to the players association, fingers crossed that it does. Uh, But if not, we'll, we'll we'll answer more of these uh, hypotheticals that you guys provided to us on Twitter. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at socksmachine_josh. underscore Josh. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you just discovered Sox Machine, or if you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine and currently don't support us on Patreon.com, please do so at patreon.com slash machine where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content like the MLB draft reports that I just released after the opening weekend of college baseball with some news and notes, the updated rankings from the National College Baseball Writers Association, Players of the Week, Pitcher of the Week, Notes of the games that I saw and the prospects that I saw with some video, uh, so you can kind of get an inside look uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch any of the college baseball games or the top draft prospects. All of those posts are exclusive to our Patreon supporters, and they also get ad-free versions of the podcast and the website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they get the first opportunity to obtain that Sox Machine swag. Are we completely sold out on the pre-sale items, Jim? Uh, no, we have a couple uh, shirts left. And then when it comes to the caps,
2: I got a notification that they're being shipped uh, today. It'll be, uh, yeah, today will be
1: Thursday. So yes, today. Yes. All right. Excellent. So for all those that pre-ordered the cap, you're going to be getting that in the mail very shortly. Next week. How exciting. Uh, and then you can also support us by buying things in the Socks Machine store at SocksMachine.com slash store. But again, your Patreon support goes so far in helping Sox Machine. We have monthly plans starting at $2 a month, or you could save 9% by signing up for an annual plan. And you can do that at patreon.com slash Machine. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple and Spotify. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson,